Good morning. Good morning. What affects you primarily the way you think? Who is primarily shaping and affecting the direction of your life? What are some good influences that you can identify in your life? Are there any bad influences in your life right now when you think about it? Can you be duped into thinking that what is a bad influence will not affect you? Have you ever said, oh, that won't affect me, and been duped by that statement? If I had a Bitcoin for every time I heard the phrase, that won't affect me, I'd be a wealthy man on certain days, and other days I'd be broke, because that thing keeps going up and down, right? But how many times have you heard, or you yourself have said, that won't affect me, or that doesn't affect me? Usually when we make the statement, that doesn't affect me, we're being defensive, aren't we? Because we've been confronted by something we're doing or reading or viewing or listening to, some sort of action that makes us defensive. And we say, well, that, that doesn't really affect me. Or we're being immature. We don't have enough experience in life to know that it really does shape and affect you. So my life experiences are not to the point of where I can make that mature decision, which makes Father's Day even more important today, doesn't it? To lead our children, to teach them well. But usually when we make the statement, it does not affect me, it's not just being defensive or immature, but it's we've been deceived. We've been duped into thinking that the things that influence us, the things that can shape us, have no effect on us. That somehow we're immune to that. Can I say the word vaccinated? <laughs> In our day and time, that seems to be a word. but Like we're immune to this when we really aren't. That's why I like when Peter says that we can escape the pollution of this world. We are to escape the things that can affect us in the wrong way and that can erode and corrupt our faith in the wrong way, aren't we? So by Peter saying that we can escape the pollution of the world, that means that it's possible to do so. That I don't have to be cynical about the world in which I live and go through it without any joy and just be very harsh and bitter. But yes, there is an escape. How do I do that? That's why I like Paul's letter to Titus. Titus was a convert apparently a Paul's ministry, but he's also a partner in the gospel with Paul. And Titus, you talk about tough assignments. His first assignment was to go to Corinth, the church there in Corinth, a city filled with paganism that was infiltrating some of the worship of the Corinthians, but also a congregation deeply divided and hostile towards Paul, one of the original founders of that ministry. And Titus, his role was to go and encourage, set straight, 
and to influence that church for the good. No sooner had he finished with that particular assignment, Paul said, that's good. Now I want to send you to the island of Crete. The island of Crete, described by their own people, was an island filled with liars, brutes, evil behavior, and people who were lazy. Titus was thrown into that culture to help the churches that had been planted there. And he was told by Paul to go into every city and appoint elders for the purpose to teach those Christians that how they live by the word of God can affect them and others around them. To not allow the culture of the world in which they were living to affect them. That it was possible to be able to say yes to Christ and no to ungodliness. And that's what Titus was teaching them. I believe from Titus today, there are words of encouragement and application for us today as well. For we live in a culture that is bombarded, right, with messages and with sounds and sights that are constantly affecting us and leading us towards things that could compromise and corrupt our faith. So we got to be aware. We have to be on guard. And the next time you find yourself saying, well, that doesn't affect me, please stop and think about what you're saying. None of us here, I assume, do not want to be corrupted by this world and to lose our faith in God. That's why Paul begins in Titus chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. That as a servant, Paul says, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his purpose is to further the faith of God's elect. I hope you're here today because you want to see your faith strengthened. You want to have that further faith in God because you are part of God's elect. That means you've accepted the plan of salvation that God has for you. You accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You put your faith in Him and you are baptized into Him and you live for Him. By being called God's elect, it reminds you that your citizenship is not of this world. We're in this world, but our citizenship, our home is not here. Remember that old song, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through right? Treasures in heaven are laid up for us, that election that we have. And when God says the elect, he means that in the end time, the promise he made to Israel, that a remnant of Israel who put their faith in Jesus Christ would be rewarded by God for their faithfulness. And God's elect refers to all those who are Christians who put their faith in Jesus Christ, that Christ's return will be gathered up with him in that reward during that reclamation period, to live with God forever. Isn't that wonderful? The promise that he has there for us, the promise is to be faithful to Christ, to be gathered to him. So how do we further that faith? By the knowledge of the truth that leads to what? See it? If you want to be godly, it's based upon what? The knowledge of the what? The truth. Are, are y'all here this morning? I'm just, or am I just online? I'm not sure. <laughs> right now, I feel like I'm just online, all right? So 
God's elect, we further our faith through the knowledge of the truth that leads to this godly lifestyle. Now, faith comes by hearing what? The Word of God. And that purpose, then, is to have that knowledge that I want to be affected by what is truth. And I want to live the way God wants me to live. And so I want to value this truth as a treasure. In Matthew 13, verse 44, it talks about this man, Jesus gives this parable, who's walking in a field and he finds this treasure of such value that he immediately goes and buys the field in order that he might own that treasure. That treasure was of such value to him that he acted upon it, didn't he? And he purchased that field. A few years ago, my youngest son, Jack, was with all of us at the beach at Folly. And he saw this man walking around with a metal detector. And Jack was just infatuated by, what are you doing? He followed that man all around. <laughs> he watched that man look for stuff and find stuff. And within the next year or so, Jack and his mother and dad built his own metal detector. Just had fun doing that. And then this year for his birthday, he got a real metal detector. And so at the beach, he tucked that with him this time. And he's going around so cute. Of course, all my grandkids are cute. They're the cutest things, right? Going around, looking and watching. And he found a few things. <clears throat> On the way home, he insisted that his dad stop at a buy it gold place because he had all this wealth that he had found, right? So we just kind of, we're already back home. Jack comes in and Jack says, you know, I found all that stuff. And he says, we took it to the gold man place and he didn't think that was worth anything. He didn't think that was worth anything. And then he pulled out of his pocket $160 because he had found one thing that the guy was willing to pay him about $160 for. We were shocked, <laughs> right? But man, you talk about valuing that treasure What's the likelihood that Jack will continue to bring <laughs> that metal detector everywhere he goes to value? When you find something, you treasure like the truth of God's Word. You treasure it. You value it. Why? Because that's how your faith is furthered. It has that effect of strengthening you for the things that you face in life. And not only do you value the knowledge of the truth... You continue to search further into that knowledge of truth. When the knowledge of truth leads you to one thing you treasure, you continue to search. Like in Matthew 13, 45, the man was searching for fine pearls, remember? And he's finding good pearls of truth. But when he finds the great pearl of great price, what does he do? He trades it all in. He sells everything he has. He's all in. And he buys that pearl of great price, the value. See, that knowledge of truth in your home should be so valuable and so priceless that your children, your wife, your husband knows that you would never, ever turn away from it. That that is what is going to affect you that's what's going to affect your children. The greatest treasure, the greatest value you have is the Word of God. To know the truth, 
to apply the truth brings freedom and joy. It gives you wisdom and insight and discernment and direction. To know the truth, to stay in it, affects you. It guides you. It gives you perspective about the decisions that you need to make in life. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs is Proverbs 23, verse 23. Invest in truth, wisdom, instruction, and do not what? Sell it. There are some investments you have for short term, some for long term. Sometimes you buy, sometimes you hold. Sound like Kenny Rogers now. Sometimes you hold them, sometimes, sometimes you walk away, sometimes you're. Right. I'm not singing that one, all right? I'm not talking about gambling here, I'm talking about investment, all right? So investing, you never sell this. When you find this truth of value and treasure, you hold on to it. And whatever wisdom and instruction and truth that goes with it, you, you invest in it and you keep investing and it keeps growing and growing. You'll never be disappointed in your investment in, in the Word of God. In fact, Jesus says, what would it profit you? In other words, if you sold the truth, let's say you found something in this world that you would rather have than truth. What would it profit you if you sold, right, sold the truth and gained the world, but in the process, you lose your soul? Is there anything of value or treasure in this world that is worth losing your soul? See, that's the value and the treasure of the truth. It affects your children. Dads, lead your children into the mindset to spend their life investing in the truth that will further their faith and keep a clear conscience. So back to Titus 1. You further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life which God, I love this, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So here is the eternal investment. Here is the reward. My faith is rewarded with hope of eternal life. How do I know that? How can I be certain of that? Because my God does not lie. He never lies. He cannot lie. Incidentally, in virtually every major man-made religion, God lies. Virtually every religion you read throughout history created by man, they show God lying to people. That in itself shows you that there's only one way of salvation to God, right? And that's through faith in Jesus Christ. God does not lie. He never lies. He cannot lie. And he has this investment plan that should affect the way we live our lives here. To further our faith in the knowledge of the truth that leads to eternal life. And here it is. The God of my present he is in my faith right now. He's the God of my future. He does not lie. 
I have a future to live with him eternally in heaven. And he's the God before time, isn't he? Before what we call time even was here, God was already preparing this for us. So there's the purpose. We are to further each other's faith. And this is Titus' work when you look in verse 9 through 10 for the elders. Incidentally, it's the same work for elders today, right? Ken and Larry and Dale and who am I leaving out? Bill, sorry. (laughs) Same work for them today as well. What are they to do? What are they to do? Verse 9, hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and, and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception. What is it? Teaching people not to be affected in the world in which we live. We're to hold firmly to this trustworthy message that has been taught. In other words, we don't change the message. We don't tailor the message as it's being affected by the culture. Rather, we hold to the sound doctrine of the Word of God that never changes, and we bring everything up and against and standards of what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And if the Bible says this is the way it is, that's the way it was taught, it continues to be taught today that way, and it will continue to be taught that way until Christ returns in order to be faithful. It's trustworthy. It's unchanging. Why is that? Because Jesus warned us. He said there will be false teachers. There will be false prophets. There will be false teachings that will lead people who are committed to Christ to be compromised into deception and distortion. Paul says there will be people who will be so affected by the culture that are Christians that they will actually teach the cultural principles to the church because the church wants to hear that. It's the popular message of the day, and they are afflicted by that, and that's all they want to hear. They have itching ears for what the culture is saying instead of the sound teachings of the Word of God to escape from it. And Paul is quite clear here. There is the rebellious talk, there is meaningless talk, see it? And there is deceptive talk. So don't say, this won't affect me, because it can. That's why Jesus said, look, one day the church is going to look like a field of of wheat. And in the midst of that wheat, the devil, the enemy, is going to sow weeds among the wheat. And those weeds are going to affect the production and the yield of the wheat crop. And what he's telling us is, look, as Christians, we need to be aware, right? That knowledge of the truth is what leads to faith. And there are weeds among us that we sometimes don't know. Being affected by the culture, leading us into the culture, affecting us that way instead of being in the Word of God. And yes, there is a difference between the culture and the Word of God. So he says, I want to encourage you elders to further the faith by the knowledge of the truth. So then he makes this statement in verse 15. Drop to verse 15. To the pure, all things are what? 
See? To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe. Thank you. Whoa. Nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciousness are corrupted. To the pure, all things are pure. Some read that and say, well, that means you shouldn't be gullible. You shouldn't be naive. If, you're, if everything's pure to those who are pure, you're gullible, you're naive, you'll be taken advantage of. Wait, we need to train our children what the world is really like so they won't be gullible and naive. So what are you saying? Take away their purity? So they might know more about the world? To the pure, all things are pure. And to those who are corrupted, do not believe nothing is pure. Some look at that and say, that's very cynical. Well, that means whatever's pure in this world is always going to get corrupted. I look at our sweet little kids and innocent kids and look at purity around us. It always gets corrupted. See the cynical attitude? Yeah, that's right. The pure, all things are pure, but pretty soon everything gets corrupted. Right? That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is this way. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted, do not believe. Nothing is pure. It's protection. It's an awareness. It's a reality. To remain pure, to know that to remain pure is going to take effort because we live in a world that's corrupted and sinful, and there are things that we need to protect our things against, ourselves against, and our children need to be protected against certain things. Amen? Are you with me? And if we just are naive about it or gullible about it or become cynical about it, we're not training ourselves or our children to live well in this world. Because in this world, there are those who look upon this world in purity as Jesus did. And he saw all things from pure eyes. But he was also well aware that he was in a world of corruption. And then there's others. And I... This is the trap. There are others who see this as maturity. When you become mature, you're pure. And as being mature, then you will always do pure things. So when you are confronted with things that are corrupt, it won't affect you. Because you're mature, you can handle that. Hear it? Do you understand what I mean by that one? Well, I'm a, I'm a mature Christian. I can view that. I can watch that. I can read that. I can listen to that. It won't affect me because I am a pure, mature Christian. Hear that? Oh, I can do that. I got that. I can read, view, listen, right? Associate. Be around bad influence. It, it won't affect me. I can go those places. It won't affect me because I'm a mature Christian. That's the greatest one who's deceived more than anybody. When you fall in that category, that's not maturity, that's deception. <laughs> You're being deceived. You're being ignorant, pardon the French. <laughs> if you're saying that won't affect me because I'm a mature Christian. At least you're being immature. You're not being mature. That's immaturity to think it won't affect you. Faith is built by the knowledge of truth, and the knowledge of truth warns you time and time again against compromising against the Word of God, to escape it, to run from it, to flee from it. Amen? 
So what you're exposed to conditions you. You need to understand that. In Deuteronomy 12, God is speaking to his people, and he's saying, you will go into the promised land, and there you're going to defeat the people in the promised land. But you are going to encounter people who are worshiping other gods. And in their worshiping practices, they are doing detestable things that I hate. Now, here's what the Lord says in verse 30. Be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? For they'll end up doing the very same thing. You know what God says? Don't study them. Don't ask questions about it. Don't get a Ph.D. in world religions, if you will, about what they're studying. Because the danger is, for some, that you'll be ensnared by your questions and turn from the true God, be affected by their culture, and start worshiping their gods. Amen? Tell me sometimes our education system does not do that to our children. Tell me that many of the social influences of our world today does not ensnare our children or ensnare us. Inquiring minds want to know. I understand that. I'm not anti-education. I'm not anti-reading. But do you see the point? You start focusing on culture. You start a Focus upon what others are doing that are contrary to what God wants you to do. There is the trap. There is the danger. You go after them. And you become part of that. You know anyone like that? Do you know anyone that's lost their faith? Anyone who's walked away because they started studying other things other than the Word of God? About what life is all about? Yes, I do. I know many in that category. And I know many, when talking to them about it, they said, it won't affect me. I'm just interested. And it did dupe them. You could expose yourself, what you expose yourself to affects you. It conditions you. And that's why Paul says in Romans 16, verse 19, I want you to be wise about what is what good and innocent about what is what? Evil. Do you understand that? To be wise about what is good. To gain the knowledge and the wisdom and the insight and discernment about what is good. What is right? What is just? What is the way to live? To have that knowledge of the truth that will further your faith, that will affect you in such a way to draw closer to God. And not have a PhD in learned and a learned scholar about the evils of this world. I don't want my children and grandchildren to know a whole lot about the evil in this world. How about you? I've heard sometimes parents say, well, you got to toughen them up. It's better they hear it from me than out there in the world. I understand that. I've been a parent. Been a grandparent, right? I am a grandparent. <laughs> Still a parent. But what if we spent more time looking at what was good and right and honorable and pure 
and focused every day on that, more than learning about the evil in this world in which we live. Ask yourself, how much time do you spend listening to the world fake news more than you do in the real good news of the Word of God? And there's absolutely no excuse for any one of us here today in this world, in time, to say, I can't go to the Bible. <laughs> you can't help but go. It's everywhere. If you just open your eyes and read it and be like Paul, I want to know Christ more and more. So back to Titus 1.15. We're not to be gullible. We're not to be cynical. We're not to be deceived in ignorance or immaturity or thinking we're mature. We are to be protective. Notice, to the pure, all things are pure. You have to protect that. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. You have to protect yourself from people like that and from views like that and protect your children from people like that and views like that. In fact, both their minds and consciences are what? Corrupted. So here he's talking about associations. Can bad can certain people have bad influence upon you? If the friends of your children are all people who are minds and conscience corrupted by the Word of God, it's going to have an effect upon them as well. And we need to understand that. We need to know this. Faith is built on sound doctrine that transforms the mind and gives us a clear conscience. Here's what Jesus said in John 17 about us. I love this. Here's a prayer. I have given them your word. Now here's the conflict. See, if you live by the knowledge of the truth, how's the world going to treat you? Expect it. They're going to what? Going to hate you. For they're not of the world any more than I'm of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Lord, protect my children, protect my grandchildren. Lord, protect this church family. Lord, protect my heart. Protect me. I'm in this world, Father, but I'm not of this world. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. So now I want to be separated. I want to be sanctified. How? By the truth. Where do you find truth? Your word is truth. As you sent me in the world. See, we're in the world, not of the world. Sent to the world. I've sent them into the world. For them I've sanctified myself that they too may be truly sanctified. So here's our identification. I'm not of this world. I'm in the world. I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a messenger of Christ. I've been sent by Christ to convert the world. To bring them to Christ. To bring them under the influence of the word of God. So that we may be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil and this is what Titus 1.16 says. Be careful of your associations. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him, which leads to disobedience, what's detestable, and unfit for doing anything good. So I think that's why gathering together is so important. It's one of the harsh realities of last year. We've shut down for a while and people are now trying to get back. Said, well, it didn't affect me that much. Well, it's affected quite a few members of our congregation and other congregations. It has affected our society, hasn't it? Hebrew writer says we need to get together. We need to gather together. 
so we can spur one another on towards good deeds and good works, so we can encourage one another, so we can strengthen one another. One thing I kept hearing back from all of you when you came back, it's just good to be around my brothers and sisters in Christ again. It's good we've reached this point. I want you to look around. Some of those empty pews that used to be filled next to you. Those are your brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling, who are not here. Some of them because of, of the disease, I understand that. But there's many others. It's not because of that at all. They need to be encouraged. They need to be spurred on. We need to gather. Why? Because we live in a world surrounded by those who claim to know God. Yeah, we're good practicing Christians. But their very actions deny it. They're disobedient, practicing, promoting, encouraging, legislating detestable, unfit things that are good, that are not good. And saying that's the way it is. So we need each other. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6:14, here's the world in which we live. Awareness. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Righteousness and witnesses, what do they have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Baal? That's idols. So here it is. There's yokes. There's nothing in common between the righteous and the wicked. Fellowship cannot be with light and darkness. There can be no harmony between Christ and the culture and paganism. Here's what God says, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Be holy. Be pure. Take the steps that are necessary to overcome the effects of our culture and what others might do to us as well. So, let's move off, it doesn't affect me. And begin to say, it does affect me. So what do I want in my life that will affect me for the good? Titus 1 through 2. I want my faith furthered, right, by the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. I know my God never lies. I have the promise of eternal life. And on the day of the Lord, when he returns, I know that I will be rewarded. I don't want to experience the wrath of God for being unfaithful. I like what 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says. Here's what else we do. Since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from what? Not just some things, right? Purify ourselves from what? Everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence to God. Parents, teach your children well. Model it in your home. Your Christian model at work, at school. Beware of the pollution, the corruption that can affect and influence your family. Know what your children are reading. Know what they're viewing, what they're listening to. Know who their friends are. Know those areas. Be aware where the traps might be. Know your own strengths. But also, would you please know your own weaknesses, right? Many times we know our own strengths, but we're very graceful about our own weaknesses, aren't we? Oh, it's okay. I'll deal with that another day. It's usually our weaknesses that get us in more trouble than our strengths, right? But be encouraged. God is faithful. You confess your sins to Him. He's faithful and just and will purify you. He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So 
You can start right here today. Well, I got this contamination. I got these things that are affecting my life and my family and my kids. I want to change. You can. See, therefore, purify yourselves. Christian, begin with prayer. Let the Spirit transform you, change you. Do the things that are necessary out of reverence to God. So very, very important. And here's one other. Philippians 4, verse 7. Here's what we all need to do. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be protective of it, right? Further your faith in the knowledge of the truth. Avoid the traps. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be shaped by the sound doctrine of the Word of God. And ignore the rebellious, meaningless, and deceptive talk of our culture. God does not lie. And He's promised us eternal life. You know, Jesus, when he came to this world, it said he was full of grace and truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everyone comes to the Father through me, right? And then he says, uh, tells us, you can know the truth, and the truth can do what? Set you free. The best way to live. The life forever, God does not lie, is a life that's lived through the knowledge of his truth, that leads to being a godly lifestyle that's affected by the faith we have in God to live for eternity. I hope you're encouraged by this message today. I hope that you will make that decision to grow more in the Word of God and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Put your trust in Him and live for Him. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation in any way, be baptized, place membership, need prayers. Let's make that decision today and do that right now as we stand and as we sing.